Welcome back to Relish the Journey. We have a very, very uh, multi-layered, I think is the right phrase, episode for y'all today. I am joined by Drs. Jody and Gary Vermas. They are incredible individuals. Um, I'll just leave it at that and let them explain. But we're going to talk about their mantra, if you will, about get money, do good. And how their focus has been to make as much money as possible through their uh, business enterprises. They refer to themselves as very much as capitalists, but they take that money to do as much good as possible. They've adopted a dozen children, yes, 12 kids. They have 13 kids in their household with their biological children included. And it's just a fantastic story about how they have gotten to this point and what they are passing on to the rest of us as far as principles and things that we can live by teachings we can learn from, and then the book that they've written to share this with the world because so many people are asking them about their stories, so they put it down in print, and it's now available for purchase. So this is Drs. Jody and Gary Vermas. Thank you both so much for agreeing to be on the podcast after we had the interview with Dave Cooper on the LinkedIn Live. I knew I had to dig in further on the podcast. So I appreciate you uh, talking to me once more. Yeah, thanks, Miles, for having us. This is exciting. So for those of my listeners who are listening and didn't see the live stream, and this is their first introduction to you both, could you go ahead and give us some background about who you are and the book and everything we'll be diving into today? Sure. You want to go first? Sure. Uh, well, I'll jump in. I'm Dr. Gary Vermas, uh, and uh, I'm the CEO of Base4, uh, company architectural engineering firm, and my, Jody and I just started a, uh, a new college, a construction college called Stonepile, uh, so Stonepile Construction College, and we have 13 children, So, uh, and Jody wrote an incredible book about it, so I'm going to let her share. Oh, great. Well, I mean, just to introduce myself, um, my education is actually in counseling. I'm a doctoral level counselor. Um, and I do trauma-related work, and it's been a passion of mine um, for all of my adult life. Um, so I think that that ultimately is what brought me to a place where, um, as we traveled around the world for Base 4, I work with Gary at his company doing, uh, I'm the chief leadership officer at Base 4, where I do servant leadership training for the executives, executive coaching and leadership development uh, they have several hundred uh, employees across the world, and we've had the privilege of going um, everywhere from China to India, all throughout the Caribbean and Haiti. I've been to Africa. Uh, you name it, we've gotten to go there. It's been such a privilege. Um, and everywhere we've gone, uh, the children who have been in poverty and some of the situations that we have encountered, uh, specifically uh, situations of trauma and abuse and extreme neglect, those are the stories that really stayed with me and prompted me um, almost in a haunting way to try to do something about it. And of course, uh, there's that old story about the little boy on the seashore throwing starfish back into the sea who had been washed up. And there are thousands and thousands of them. Um, and the old man who looks at him cynically and says, why are you doing this? It's not going to matter. And the little boy chucks one back in and says, well, it matters to this one. And I think that that idea has been the vision for our life um, since we encountered uh, the struggles that we've had a privilege to see around the world. And we decided to try to do good. 
Um, and it has brought us to a place where we have, tw uh, well, 12 adopted children, and now I have a 13th in my home. Different story. Um, but yeah, we have a very full house of kids that we adopted that really were not adoptable. Um, and it's been our life's journey to take them in and help them to become people who can be healed and then go out and help some other folks. And, and that's kind of what we do. So our day job at Base 4 uh, is helping us to earn the money that we need to support this clan. And uh, so that's kind of what the book is about. Everywhere we go, people look at us and say, what's going on here? Uh, tell me your story. And so finally I did, and I wrote it down, and we just launched. Uh, so it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, I think the um, it was, what was interesting is we would take the kids out, you know, once or twice a week for dinner, and we would show up at a restaurant, and, you know, there's 12 kids, and two of us, 14 of us. And, you know, people could never understand that we look like some weird Asian birthday party uh, going on. And, uh, and so, and, and I would say, you know, many times people would walk, they stare and stare at us. And then they hear the kids yell, mom, dad, mom, dad. And they'd come up and they would say, you have to tell me the story. You have to tell me the story. Um, and so that's kind of Jody. Jody felt the desire. Hey, I, I have to tell this story. And it's, it is a journey. The whole story is a, is a journey uh, of the last 10 years of our lives and, and how we got here. Yeah. And there's so much to unpack there. You mentioned the last 10 years of your lives. So I'd love to back it up and begin at the beginning and year one of this 10 year journey. When did it really start? And you both look at each other and say, you know what, you know, we're going to make a difference for this starfish going back to that great example, which I love that, that story too. Um, what made you want to start and what was the first adoption experience like and how did that lead to the next and the next and the next? Well, I think, um, I mean, just to jump in real quick here, you know, we were, we didn't want more kids. We had two biological kids. We, our first child, Garrett, uh, was, uh, is a high functioning autistic and he was a very difficult child. I mean, it was horrible. Actually, it was a really hard, <laughs> hard experience as parents. And then we had a, another, we had a daughter uh, and we weren't, we definitely didn't want more kids. Like there wasn't a hole in our heart to say, let's, let's do this. And we didn't think we were great parents. You know, we weren't like, wow, we're doing awesome here. We should keep doing it. Um, that, that never came to our mind, but we got really involved and we started a, a school in Haiti and we tried to get involved. We, we were blessed. We felt blessed in our careers and our lives. And we wanted to go back and help people. We really believed in that, that our job was to get back. And every time we got involved in a nonprofit, we were disappointed. We were disappointed with how the money was spent. Uh, we were disappointed with what people did. We were disappointed. We, every time we pulled back the curtain, there was just a mess. So we started our own nonprofit, like I said, the school in Haiti. Uh, and then even that wasn't really enough. We didn't feel like we were being super effective. So we kind of just stared at each other one day and said, you know, the only way we're going to really help somebody is if we bring them into our home. And so we decided to go out and adopt the kids that no one else really wanted. You know, like uh, we, we adopted kids that were had some emotional needs that were older. And that's how it got going. Uh, Jody, I'll, what do you think? Right. I think, you know, we went out and we adopted uh, our first daughter is from China. She was nearly four, couldn't walk when we met her. She had been tied up into a bed, um, had never chewed anything. We had to teach her how to chew food. Um, just so... Um, malnourished and difficult i mean difficult yeah she was hard. so every time we uh, adopted it got it seemed to me harder or maybe we got worse as parents we certainly <laughs> don't compare very good parents no. um, that is not why we do this but 
But ultimately, there would be these children who had been given out for adoption, and the referral family would say, no, that, that kid looks a little bit too tough. And they would end up on this list. It's like an in-between list where the agency has them, but the, the family didn't want them. And so that's always where we found our children um, on those lists. Uh, we had tried to foster and adopt in America, but, you know, uh, there were lines for, for those kids. And, and we were like, well, we don't want to take children from other people. We just want the children that maybe wouldn't otherwise have a chance. And so we decided to do that. We adopted Shia um, nearly 10 years ago now. Um, at the same time we adopted her, the stock market was crashing horrifically, and we were in the process of losing everything we owned. Um, and and I remember, and Gary had to make the choice, like, do, am I going to pay my mortgage or am I going to bring my last $7,000 payment to China to adopt this little girl? And, and that was the choice before us. We were in the midst of losing everything, and we had to make that choice. We chose um, out of faith to go to China and get her. And I'll never forget sitting in that office with the money counter and Gary handing them all of those crisp, they had to be new $100 bills, and then going through that money counter to make sure we had given every last dollar before we were allowed to take our daughter home. And I think for me, it's probably different for Gary, but for me, from that moment on, my relationship with money changed. I was raised by a single mom. I was raised without a lot. Um, you know, we struggled uh, early on, and I was raised to go out there and get that education and be self-sufficient. And um, and, and frugal and not to spend extravagantly on anything. And I think at that moment I realized, you know, money isn't evil. Money is something that you can use for good. And, and that's what we chose to do. Um, in 2012, uh, my mom died from cancer. It was uh, one of the most difficult things I've ever been through. She was my best friend. And from that moment on, something changed in me. And I remember looking at Gary after we had lost her. We had been through some rough times financially. And Gary's amazing. He got, got his company up and running again, and, and, and that was awesome. But, but I lost her. And at that moment, I said to Gary, you know, we don't really have a home. We had traveled the world for business, and home was where mom was. So when I lost her, I just felt this sense of, you know, life is short. We can go anywhere what can we do to make the most difference? And I asked Gary one day, you know, where would you go, Gary, to make the most money you can make? And his response surprised me, which I can let you tell, but let him tell. But, um, but I said, let's do that. Let's just live our life. Let's make as much money as we can. It doesn't matter where we are. We're going to make as much money as we can. We're going to adopt children. We're going to help as many as possible. And that's what we did. So that's how we went from three children to now 13. Yep. That's great. So what was that story that Jody was going to let you tell, Gary? Where, <laughs> where did you decide to make all the money so that you could do all the good? Yeah, I mean, it was it was 2012, and uh, you'll have to remember that the fracking industry out west was booming. North Dakota was uh, on fire, and I was in the hotel design business, and there was no place as exciting as the Bakken oil field. So we were sitting, I think, in Florida. We were probably in a water park having this discussion, and uh, she said, if you could go anywhere right now to make money. 2012 was still slow. We were still recovering from the crash in 2009. And she said, where would you go? And I said, oh, I would go to North Dakota. Uh, and she's like, North Dakota? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like negative 20 up there. Uh, so we moved our family to North Dakota, spent a year there, and really jump-started the business, which is base four. 
and uh, it's been super successful since. And our mantra has been, you know, do whatever it takes to make money, go wherever it takes. I mean, not in a, in a bad way, but hey, if you have to move the family here, move here. If you have to travel here, go here. Just figure it out because that money is such an important tool to do good. And without it, uh, we found that we, you know, we weren't able to do that much good. You know, you're, you'll notice, and that's what we got so frustrated with other nonprofits because they spend so much time collecting money and begging people to give money. Then they get the money, then they spend it. Like I think unethically sometimes and in, you know, not in a great way or irresponsible. Uh, and we just decided, Hey, we're going to just do that all of ourselves. That's right. And I think from that moment on, so the, the day we moved to North Dakota, it was snowing. We stayed a long while and it was snowing the day we left. And <laughs> between then and now, I think we've lived in like 15 different places. We have um, spent time living in India, central India. We have spent time living in the Middle East. We have been in the craziest of situations and places. I mean, one of the chapters of my book is called Tigers, Monkeys and Snakes. Because that was my my children growing up. My son with autism often will tell us, you guys are terrible parents because we'll be in danger. I mean, Gary was riding in cars with Taliban, and we were all over the place about to get arrested for uh, our faith in the Middle East. And, it, you know, we've been a disaster. We look a mess. But that's been our goal. It's been our driving um, vision, and it's been so much fun doing it, and, and we wouldn't change a day of it. You know, popular phrase is that, you know, your mess can be your message, which I love. And, you know, everything you're talking about, the book is called Get Money, Do Good. And that is very much part of the message. Like you said, make as much money as possible so you could do as much good as possible. But people that don't know you and know where that first part of the title's coming from, I imagine, look at it differently. What's been the reaction to the title of the book and this idea about making as much money as possible? Right. Yeah. Most people, when they first hear the title, um, look at it skeptically. I mean, my family was like, you shouldn't name it that. People are going to think you're just greedy. And, uh, you know, and that's not how you are. But that really, the point is um, that in the nonprofit um, world um, where people are do-gooders and they're trying to do good, there's often uh, ineffectiveness because there's not a shrewdness. And we did that for many, many years where our message was, hey, we're going to make money the normal way. We're going to donate money. And I think for us, it really changed when we pulled back the curtains in nonprofit world. We even started our own nonprofit to be effective, where we, we pledge that every dollar you give gets to the field 100 percent because there's so few organizations really doing that and really being effective. But what you'll learn is when you go out to do good, not to donate money, not to tithe at a church, not to just give, you know, at the grocery checkout, but you choosing to do good is much harder than you think to give responsibly, to give in ways that are actually going to change lives. It's actually one of the challenges that we've held, um, you know, daily. It, it's been so such a struggle for us. And so I think that is the reason I named the book that I was like, it is very much about getting it yourself, using your resources, your talents, whatever it is you make, whether it's much or little, and leveraging that to do the most good possible. Not giving it away so you don't feel guilty, not giving it away because you don't think, oh, well, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how I can make a difference, but figuring out a way to make that difference. Um, and so that's why I titled it, but yeah, people will often say, hey, what does money have to do with adoption? And I'm like, well, clearly you don't 
know about adoption because everyone takes about $30,000 just to get the adoption done. Um, and then once you bring them home, I think we, with our, we adopted six children at one time and the first dental visit was $21,000 because they had 49 different cavities or extractions the very first time we took them to the dentist. So, you know, with respect, we would be naive to think, yeah, we can just have great hearts and try to help people if we weren't out there leveraging all of our time, energy, and finances to truly try to, to make a life better. It costs a lot. It costs everything you've got emotionally. Uh, we work hard to be able to, you know, get these kids healed and where they need to be, but it's not cheap. Yeah, definitely not. That. <laughs> I think a lot of people listening right now, you know, are pulling over to the side of the road so they don't uh, run into an accident hearing that dental bill. That's wild. That's literally (laughs) how much much you pay for a car and and do kids' teeth. That's crazy. No, it's uh, the 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 bills are staggering. I mean, for our family, the grocery bill is a thousand dollars a week uh, just to buy food, and you know, that's not including eating out. That's just going to Costco. Uh, so it takes money to, to help people, to bring them into your home, to raise them. And, I, you know, I think uh, we, we live in a day and age right, where capitalism is a dirty word, unfortunately. Uh, and because, you know, capitalists and capital, I mean, I'm not saying that every capitalist is, is well, you know, well-meaning or good-hearted. But, you know, hey, we live in an, an incredible country where you can make money and then you can use that money to do good. Uh, and I would say that it's much more important. Like, you know, everyone wants you to give money. Hey, give your money here. Give your money here. The title of the book is not get money, give money, uh, because I would say that's really easy. Uh, it's really hard to do good. And and when you have to do it yourself, it's much more meaningful and it helps you grow as a person. I mean, we are different people now than we were 10 years ago because of, of what we of the adventure that we got to live on. And, you know, again, the adventure costs money. But when you use your, you know, your money to do that. It's awesome. You know, people ask me all the time, Gary, what do you do for you time? You know, do you play golf? I don't do anything. Like I, I have no me time. Uh, <laughs> I work and I'm with my family. That's it. And I, I don't, I don't have a boat. I don't have hobbies. We don't spend money on anything other than our home and our family uh, because, you know, that's what matters most. And, and, and that's what's rewarding. I, I believe. So what do you hope people take from the book besides the initial message of get money, do good? What, what action do you guys hope folks take after they read it? I think uh, Jody has a lot, a lot to say here, but you know, unfortunately, we live in a country where the idea of getting money is bad. And then if you want to do good, you, the only thing you can do is give money to another organization. You'd be surprised. People read the book and their next question is, hey, I'm inspired. I want to do good. Where do I go? And we're like, no, you have to figure that out yourself. Uh, that's that's the exercise here. Uh, it's not bad to get money, and it's hard to do good. And if you do both of those things, your life will change. That's kind of the message, and it's a very different message than what you see every day. You know, every day in the news, getting money is bad. Or if you do actually get money, then you should give it away. We're saying don't do either one of those. That either one of those things aren't correct. Getting money is good, and then don't give it away. Find a way for you to do good because you'll be more effective. I think that I think that's the message. Uh, it's a very difficult message, but I think that's the one, right? Don't you think, Jack? I do, and the reason why I wrote a memoir and not a handbook is because in the book I try to detail how challenging it was for us to wrestle with. Look, 
I want to do something good. I want to make something happen. And how many no's we got and how many faces of people just turned away and doors slammed, how many adoptions we lost, children that we lost, governments that turned us away, persecution that we received, the tears and the struggles and the challenges and wanting to give up so many times that I just didn't think I was going to be able to rescue this child or make uh, that happen for this child. Um, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. You have to go to a very difficult place um, with yourself um, to really affect change. And that is the message. I want people to be inspired. I want them to laugh at the ridiculous of our family, how ridiculous it can be. Um, I don't expect other people to go out and try to adopt a dozen kids. That's not the message of the book. But the book is we all are here and we're all able to make our life something where, one, we can take care of ourselves and to go really change at least one other life and figuring out how to do that. Um, and that's really the challenge I hope that people walk away with. Like, yes, I have talents, I have gifts, I have power, and I can change a life. I'm not going to rely on the government to do it. Um, I'm not going to rely on other organizations to do it. Um, I'm going to figure it out myself. And I think that's where the power is. It's not just that you're helping someone else. You're becoming the hero you want to be as well. Yeah. Um, for me, of course, my passion, um, the reason why I do what I do every single day is that 24.9 million children currently are enslaved in human trafficking. Um, it weighs on my heart. I've seen it. I've rescued at least two of my children from those situations where they were being sold. And no one is talking about this issue, at least not in the mainstream. And so for me, part of the book was to present a story that would, that would put a lens on this issue. This is an issue that is near and dear to our heart, rescuing children that are out there. They need so much help. There's so many avenues where people can help, but it's not simple. It's not easy. And you've got to dive into some pretty painful stuff. And people don't want to go there, but I think going there is where your life really matters. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how painful, right? I know when we did the live stream, you were sharing stories of, I forget what country, but you know, in this country, they would literally chop off the limbs of kids so they could get more money begging on the street corner. And you had mentioned, you know, once you see that, it haunts you and you can't unsee it. And that's some of the pain I think you're referencing, right? It forces you to face just how lucky we are, even though we complain about all of our champagne problems, that there's, there's a much bigger picture out there that is, because right. it forces you to look at how how not important our problems are when you put it in context of that, right? Yeah. I mean, Miles, for me, every day I feel haunted by what I've seen and haunted by um, the blessings that I have um, and the things we've been privileged to be born into. And um, I can't unsee it, as you said. And those stories stay with me. They drive me. They move me. They hurt me. They inspire me. Um, I look at my daughter from India. She's blind. She's partially paralyzed. She was beaten up and left for dead and sent away underneath a train when she was three years old. Nobody wanted this child. We adopted her when she was eight. And when we were trying to exit the country, the exit doctor who has to give the okay on her health looked at me and said, why would you want this disgusting child? So that's what we're dealing with. Um, and it every day, um, it's what drives me. 
Yeah, I think that the thing, Miles, um, poverty in America is like poverty in no other country. Uh, they're not even comparable. When you go to in- India and you're at the street corner and you see a baby with no no clothes rolling around in the dirt next to its mom who's begging for food, cooking over an open garbage file, and then another kid who's in a gang uh, he's been recruited into a begging gang and they cut his hand or his fingers off so he can make more money when he begs. I, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I, it's, you, you know, again, that changes you. And that's what we decided to do good. I mean, that's not where every, we're not challenging everybody that that's where you need to go. Right. Uh, the, the point is, you know, just do good yourself. You'll be more effective than, than trying to join an organization or, uh, even giving money to an organization, go out there and, and you're going to make uh, a huge change. Like if you just take care of yourself and take care of one other person, think about if everybody did that, if everybody was dedicated to just taking their, care of themselves and one other person, not relying on the government, not relying on church, not relying on others. Just that's, that's their mantra. And that's what we teach our kids every day. Your job in life is to take care of yourself, take care of one other person at least. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, that's a great teaching. Uh, for all of us, like you said, if we could all do that, then the world would be a much better place. What I love about the two of you and everything you're doing is how much ownership you do take of it. Like you have made the money and it's very, it could be very easy for you to sit back and have the passive approach to write the check and, you know, clear your conscience in a way and someone else can put the action in. But everything about the two of you is you are firsthand participating in this to do the most good and have the most control over it. And uh, you said it. It's not easy, but it's where you're making the most impact. I respect the hell out of it. It's it's quite the story. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we kind of see it as an investment, uh, and I like to watch all my investments closely. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, you know, we've got twelve investments here, and I get to you know we we get to parent them, and we have a lot of fun. I mean, it is an incredible family, and these kids have come so long, and we have so much. It's like living in a frat house. It's crazy. Uh, they party. They they're energetic. They're they're amazing people. And so bad. So bad. Uh, so, bad. <laughs> so bad. I love how I love how real you are too. Where you're not you're not sitting over here saying you're saints who have adopted. 12 no. kids and you're the best parents. <laughs> you're just like, it's bad. We're, we're not that good at this, but we're trying. I think no. that's awesome. No, no. The only, we show up. That's it. Like we, <laughs> I would say many days we're really not good, but we show up and we have fun and we love the kids and we, and we want to teach them a lot about freedom, like, you know, responsibility and freedom. Uh, and so we work at it every day. I mean, every day there's probably 20 or 30 little micro lessons yeah. uh, that the kids are learning. I mean, you know, some of the life lessons that we teach are, are, are very funny. Uh, like you, you know, for one, you have to wear underwear. That's not, you know, that's a goal. Like, you know, that's just a life lesson that will do well for the rest of your life. Every day you have to have underwear on. Right. Well, like my kindergartners, uh, when she was in kindergarten, beautiful little girl, my youngest, and every day she would come back from school and I had to check her backpack to see what she had stolen that day. And then we'd have to go back to the school and, and she'd have to return it. I mean, my kids, they lie, cheat, and steal. It's how they learn to survive. They were on the street. So we're not talking about getting kids to have good manners. We're talking about getting them to sit in a chair, to keep their clothes on, to not take other people's stuff. To you know, So, so but we've got some pretty big fish to fry over here. So we are certainly not majoring in the minors. And we don't look great because if we're just happy if our kids are all just safe and relatively moving in the right direction. Right. 
So you mentioned all the micro lessons you're teaching them, right? From putting on underwear to I'm sure even bigger ones, but what lessons have they taught you? Uh, for me, it's very easy. They've taught me to measure success differently. All of my kids are coming up from behind with language, with trauma. Um, there's some of them who might go to college and do great. Uh, there's some of them who might not make it out of high school uh, based on uh, not just not being able to make up uh, the gaps that they've had. Uh, it's part of the inspiration for the college we started. We started a construction college for people who learn differently, for non-traditional learners, where they can have wild success, even though they're not in the elite path of school. So that's been our inspiration for that. But, you know, Gary and I went to Ivy League universities. We were raised to like, you know, our mantra was all about success. And I think for me, my children have taught me how to measure success differently, that sometimes being able to have a meaningful relationship, being able to have character growth, being able to choose to do something selfless when all your life people have hurt you. Those are those are those are real successes to me. And I, uh, and that lesson has been, uh, you know, it's changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah, and I think for me, Miles, um, I mean, I, I share everything Jody said is I agree with, but what really changed my life is all of the uh, orphan kids that we adopted all came into our home with a victim mentality. Uh, they very much, it's a very strange uh, balance or dichotomy, if you will, because there's this whole, they're, they're entitled because everything's been given to them, but yet they're victims. And so, you know, I always uh, grew up thinking, hey, anybody, no matter where you live in the world, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and suck it up and go do hard work and anybody can achieve the American dream, for example. And when I read and when I ran head into the victim mentality, I was amazed at the power that the victim mentality has on a human soul. Um, and, and it's just the amount of effort that it takes to get someone to get out of the victim mentality and to believe that they can do something is unbelievable to me. You know, so I listen to politicians talk about throwing money at this problem or that problem. And I'm, I, I almost I, I, it saddens me because, man, there is nothing harder than, than fixing the victim mentality. If someone believes they're a victim or is in that or has been raised to think that they can't do it themselves, man, it takes it takes a village to raise that person to get them to believe they can do it. It takes years and years. So I think that's the it gave me a lot of compassion for people, a lot more compassion, uh, especially on, the, on that emotional struggle. Yeah, I bet. And that's interesting because, yeah, I don't often think of it that way, the victim mindset while also being entitled. But I think it's that's more common than most people would probably want to admit, whether you come from the situations all of your children came from or, or one here in the United States. I think that's out there for sure. Right. And I think it's when you're when you're when you are victimized, you learn um, how to live with being neglected. Um, and you come to a place where you you sort of expect that, uh, you know, I'm going to be neglected. I'm not going to have what I need. But at the same time, no one really expects much of me. And so all of my kids, when they come here, um, now they're learning that they are loved and they are valuable um, and they are treated with respect and kindness, which they love and they grow into and they learn that. But then on the flip side, at the same time, we expect out of them. And that is a very hard lesson. The kids want the love, but not the discipline. Yeah. So they grew up neglected, but never challenged. Yeah. So now they're in our house and we're loving them crazy, but we also discipline and expect them to be, now become something that's going to give back. 
And that's a stretch. Uh, they push against that because in their in their heart of hearts, it's really hard to overcome that that self doubt um, and the insecurity of that I'm, I don't really matter, and so I'm just going to do nothing. So so getting them to be people who are proactive to go after life um, has been quite a challenge. Yeah, children that are raised without expectations or boundaries. Oh wow, I mean it's it's unbelievable. Uh, and we set boundaries and we have expectations here. And man, we, we expect them. We expect them. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You know, and we challenge them and we have boundaries when they go, uh, man, it's, it's I, I've never imagined how hard that is for a human. I mean, if you're an adult and you grew up with no expectations or boundaries in your life, how to overcome that. That's a, that's a lifetime battle um, that you'll need a lot of help and a lot of love, and a lot of people around you to do that. And I never knew that. I, I never understood that. And now I do. And it's changed my worldview on almost everything. So speaking of worldview, how, when you guys look back on this entire journey and your view of it now, how would you describe everything you've been through, through all the adoptions and, and writing the book? How would you describe it all if you could only use three words? <laughs> I think for me, I'll go first. Yeah. I think for me, the three words that I tell myself and have told myself and that I would tell others is figure it out. Um, yeah, when we look at our own lives and we look at the world and we look at the challenges and we look at the stuff that needs to get done, it's hard. Um, no one's going to tell you um, how to make money or how to do good, but it's up to us to figure it out. I would, I can use two words in uh, a, a, a title of um, one of my favorite uh, rock star, Kid Rock. He wrote a song, Born Free. And to me, that's, that's, that's the description. We're born free. Uh, what you use your freedom to do for is up to you. And we've gone this way, but man, every day we wake up and we feel, we feel that awesome excitement and burden of freedom. Yeah. There you go with another dichotomy there, Gary. <laughs> I love it. So after people hear you guys talk and we've, we've sort of teased the book here, but where should we send folks to read the book, learn more about you all? Where do you want people to go to find out additional information? Oh, great. Well, I have a website, which is uh, www.getmoneydogood.com. That's pretty easy. And my book, or the memoir, Get Money, Do Good, is available on every site you can think of, but in particular on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, Google Play. And there's an audio book as well that we did, which was a really fun experience. Um, so there's there's four different narrators on that one, and that's available on 43 different um audiobook platform. So just pick your favorite one and uh, you will find it. Awesome. Well, between all the businesses you all run and all the kids, you're very busy. And so I very much appreciate you carving the time out to be on this podcast and sharing your story with me and my audience. So just thanks again. Thank you so much, Miles. It's been so awesome to get to know you and, and being on your show. You're, you're uh, an incredible guy. Thanks. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you for including us on your now number five most oh, listened yeah. podcast. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that was it's fun. So that people like to talk to you and we have very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap on this fantastic interview with doctors Jody and Gary Vermas. Quite the story. So many different things to unpack. I feel like you could listen to this three or four different times and get something different out of each element of their story. 
So like they said, check out the show notes of this podcast for links to getmoneydogood.com and where you can find the book online. Please support these awesome people and help us spread their message because there's a lot of things that a lot of people need to hear in this podcast and in that book. So again, thank you all for listening. Thank you to the Vermases for being our guests. I'm your host, Miles Biggs, and I'll catch you all next time. Cheers.